It is wonderful to be with God's people on the Lord's Day. Amen? It is wonderful to be anticipating God's blessing. If you haven't experienced it already, and I trust that you have, just being in the body of Christ and having the opportunity to be like Christ to one another is indeed a great privilege. As we take another look at uh, the life of Jesus in the book of Matthew last time, two Sundays ago, uh, we looked at his baptism. Uh, I'm sorry, we looked at his uh, meeting of the temptations. Right after his baptism, he was uh, sent into the wilderness by the Spirit where he was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. And now we see that as he comes out of that, that he begins to preach. And his message is, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, or near, or here. And you might ask, well, where has the kingdom of God been? You know that when you see someone who carries a sign uh, that says, repent, it's a bit of a joke in our culture, isn't it? But I hope that you'll appreciate that when we speak about repentance, we're talking about the opportunity that God gives us to get back on track. And that's actually a pretty good thing, to get on track. Get on track with him, to leave those things behind that get us into trouble. And this passage that uh, was read for us already, Matthew, 4 verse 12, begins with the indication that there is a fulfillment of a prophecy from Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way to the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. In other words, the part of Palestine or Israel that is north of Jerusalem, the people living in darkness has seen a great light on those in the land of the shadow of death. A light has dawned. And this is a quotation, a reference to the prophecy that is in Isaiah chapter 9. And of course, you'll know other verses from chapter 9 because we recite them regularly at Christmas. And so as we look at this passage, we want to ask ourselves, why is Jesus preaching, repent for the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, as it is in Matthew, those terms are used interchangeably. Why is he preaching as though it is a new thing? So make sure you've got your thinking caps on for a little bit, because you need to understand that God presents to us the kingdom of God in three aspects. The forever kingdom of God, that has been from the very beginning, but that there are rebel forces at work on planet Earth. And we'll spend a little time talking about that. But God is not absent because he has promised a deliverance. And then the now kingdom of God that Jesus begins to preach. And those of you who understand the terminology of World War II, D-Day was the decisive day in which there was a launch of the Allied forces for the decisive battle that won the war. 
and then the not yet kingdom of God in Jesus that comes on the victory day, the final victory. So those are the three aspects. And so, for example, we have these, these scriptures from the Psalms that show us over and over again that there is our God who is eternally on the throne. And so don't be misled by the fact that there are rebel forces skirmishing on the earth. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. Psalm 103, his kingdom rules over all. Psalm 145, they will tell the glory of your kingdom and of your might, and so on. And this is the fundamental reality. I love driving in from Elmira. Don't particularly like the distance, but I do like the opportunity to see God at work even in what's happening in the fields. Aren't you glad that God is sovereign and that uh, we will reap in abundance and next week we will celebrate Thanksgiving because God is so good. But we also know that there are rebel forces at work on planet Earth. And so we have in Revelation chapter 12, uh, a picture that we cannot see ourselves, but we have to have God reveal it to us. And there we see that in verse 9, the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. And so we know that the devil is at work. And we know what transpired in the garden. The fall in which the serpent deceived the first couple. And we now are living in a world in which we are subject in some ways to the work of the serpent. And so in Ephesians chapter 2, we read as Paul is speaking to the Ephesians, as, you, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. Is there a lot of echo right now? Yeah, can we get some of that feedback uh, eliminated? Hello, hello, hello. Okay. And, uh, and we read, when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And that was written 2,000 years ago. It was true from the time of the garden, the fall, and it is still true today. And we know that. And there is a battle that is going on. It's a battle that we even wage within ourselves. We have, for example, again, looking back a little bit further in Matthew chapter 4, to one of the temptations specifically mentioned in which uh, the devil takes the Lord to a very high mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he says, all this I will give to you if you will bow down and worship me. Now, was he lying? No, he is indeed ruling in a particular way. And we have evidence of that all over the place. We won't take time to prove it. You know it, you live it. And I pray that you are also working against it and praying against it. 
But you see, in the midst of all this, God has promised a coming kingdom. So now we look a little bit further in Isaiah chapter 9. These verses that we so often refer to at Christmas time, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And you know that over the last few months, we also looked at the promise that we have of Jesus. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we saw how that prophecy is indeed true. Where when he uttered those words, there were but a handful. And now those who name Jesus as Lord number in the billions. And it is still ongoing. So don't be fooled by some of the things you see around you. We happen to be in a place where the skirmish is not going necessarily terribly well. But the battle belongs to the Lord. So we don't give up. And God will set up a kingdom. And so again, in Daniel, we read about in the time of the fourth kingdom. And there he's talking about the Roman Empire. The God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms. So where is Julius Caesar now? Dead and gone. Where is Jesus? Still on his throne and proving that he is indeed king of kings and lord of lords. It will itself endure how long? Forever. And so Jesus is indeed ushering a new phase of God's rule into the world. So he preaches, as we read in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, from the time, that time on, that is from his, his baptism and the uh, facing of the temptations from the evil one, repent for the kingdom of God is near. It is near because the king is present. Now, John the Baptist, who is the forerunner and in fact, in Matthew chapter 3, we see that he was also preaching, repent for the kingdom of God is near. And Jesus took that up and has expanded it. But you'll see that in Matthew chapter 11, John, who is in prison, asks through his disciples, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? Look at Jesus' answer. Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. And the deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. In other words, the Lord Jesus is declaring that this new phase of the kingdom has indeed been inaugurated. Now, the opposition. We've already talked about the battle forces of the prince of the power of the air. The entrenched defenses of thousands of years of living without God. And what a terrible world we live in. And you know, 
it doesn't take very much to see how much bad goes on. But in the midst of that, what do God's people do? They bring light. They bring hope. They are salt. And we see how it makes a difference in this world. In the Middle East, where there seems to always be trouble, and I think you know why, uh, the, uh, the people who are making a difference are God's people, are believers, are followers of Jesus. And even though it is not reported in the secular press, there are thousands upon thousands of people in Syria who are coming to Jesus. And right across the so-called 1040 window, which has been such a hard place, God is revealing himself. When I was visiting in Mindamoya, I discovered that uh, the Mindamoya folk had been involved in sponsoring some Eritrean refugees. And as a result of that, they were in Canada, and God was at work in their lives and hearts, and uh, one of the families had moved to Ottawa, and they we got reports back that Jesus had revealed himself to them in dreams. That's not uncommon amongst Muslims. Praise God for that. And they are now alive in Jesus and rejoicing. And they know how beautiful it is to have the opportunity to repent, to turn around, to turn towards God and towards life. We have the brainwashing of godless philosophies that have blinded us. And there are a handful and a few variations, but they are hard at work. And we know the darkness that's been brought to the human souls and continues to spread its poison, war and killing, famine and disease, and it seems to be endless, doesn't it? But let's understand This is not a statement of despair. This is a statement of reality. And in the midst of it, God causes his kingdom to grow and to flourish. So we have the declaration of the Lord in uh, Luke chapter 4, in which he is given the opportunity to read from the scroll of Isaiah. And he reads these words, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach what? Good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And the Lord Jesus spoke to those who were gathered. He said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. God has kept his promise and he continues to keep his promises. And so the demons even knew this. And so when Jesus was speaking in the synagogue in Capernaum, we see that uh, there in their synagogue was someone possessed of an evil spirit. And this evil spirit says, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. This is our Savior who has come. Now the strategy that the Lord has is different than the kind of strategy that we might employ. It is by the death of one man 
whose perfection and sacrifice would restore the moral balance of the universe and reconcile God to man and man to God. So in Romans chapter 5, Paul is developing this, and he says, if by the trespass of one man, that is Adam, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man? Jesus Christ. We read again, saying, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And as John says in 1 John 2, He, Jesus, the righteous one, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. Can anybody say amen to that? That's why it's good news in the Middle East. That's why thousands are coming to the Lord Jesus there, and in India, and in China. And let's pray that there will be a renewal amongst our people in Canada. Amen? Pray for your politicians. They have a hard road to hoe. But we're reminded in Scripture not to put our trust in princes, that is, political leaders. That's not where our hope is. Also, don't put your trust in horses, we're told. That means in military might. We put our trust in the Lord. And so, you see, when the time had fully come, God sent his son. And so that's what we celebrate at the first advent, at Christmas. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. And let's understand what he did in relationship to the evil one. By his death, he destroyed him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil. So I've given you those scriptures. The significance of the cross of Christ is central. And he tells us that he disarmed the powers and authorities, and he made public spectacle of them, triumphing, over them, how? By the cross. The way of Jesus is the way of the cross. And if we want to follow him, then we must also embrace the way of the cross. And you see, with the coming of the king comes the presence of the kingdom of God. And we have the power and the presence of the kingdom when the king is with us. Do we have Jesus with us? Yes. So we have his power and his presence, not for our selfish purposes, but for his glory, for his good, for the greater purposes of God. And through Jesus, we receive the blessing and the authority of the king. And that's why we can speak to, into any situation confident, you see? And that's why we carry the message of blessing everywhere that we go. So going back a little bit in history, June the 6th, 1944, who's around back then? Oh, a few of us, all right. June the 6th, by the way, is my anniversary, not 1944. A little bit later. But at the landing in Normandy, there were 156,000 American, British, and Canadian forces over a heavily fortified 50-mile stretch. The U.S. had brought in, read this, 
7 million tons of supplies, including 450,000 tons of ammunition in prep for this decisive battle. So, Rick, 450,000 tons of feed. How much is that? Quite a bit. You wouldn't handle that in a year, would you? No. Close, okay. In other words, this is a lot. The preparations were made. The Canadians distinguished themselves at Juneau Beach. And a year later, almost, on May 7, 1945, the Germans under Hitler signed an unconditional surrender. Maybe I shouldn't say under Hitler because Hitler took his life already by that point. But let's understand that the decisive battle happened on D-Day. And so let's understand that the decisive battle took place on the cross. And that has changed the course of human history. And we are seeing the growing presence of the kingdom. And the Lord gives us a number of parables that teach this. The parable of the mustard seed. How the smallest of plants becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. The parable of the yeast in the dough secretly doing its work. And let's not be discouraged. God is at work in our land. Amen? And the things that you may think are so unimportant, so insignificant, working with the youth and with the children, gathering here as God's people and praying, these are not insignificant. They are all part of God's secret work in making a difference, being his secret agents in every place, living lives like Jesus. The parable of the wheat and the weeds, understand that both will grow up together. And are both growing up together? They sure are. And it's at the end that it will get sorted out. Now, we are given, of course, the kingdom of God in its final aspect. And so just a, a verse out of 1 Corinthians 15, where the Lord, or where Paul says, For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. And so that's what's at work happening. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, for here, I think it's good for us to be certain that we know how to enter the kingdom of God. In John chapter 3, the Lord is speaking to a very well-educated man who knew the scriptures back and forth, but he says to him, you must be born again, born of the Spirit of God. And in verse 16, this verse that we perhaps all know, that we have a part to play in which we must trust Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever, what? Believes, that is, trusts him, will have eternal life. And so he tells us the truth about our spiritual condition. We like to fool ourselves. We like to say, well, I'm pretty good. I'm, I'm better than so-and-so. That's usually what we do, right? Not only within the church, but all around us. And we know that we, when we compare ourselves to the perfect standard of God, who is Jesus, 
We all fall short of the glory of God. But thank God he has made a way that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? Saved. That means rescued, delivered. It is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. So then how do we live, friends? How do we live? How should we live? And of course, the New Testament is just full of it, as is the Old Testament. And praise God that he gives us his spirit by which we are enabled to live in this way, because within ourselves, you know what we're like, right? And every once in a while, it seems to percolate up and out, and we end up speaking words of poison instead of words of blessing. Have you noticed that? And sometimes we speak it to one another in our own homes, sometimes in our gatherings as God's people, and this ought not to be. The Lord taught us to pray this, and we just prayed it. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we are praying the kingdom of God. We are praying that his will be done in my life. And of course, in our world where we are to be salt and light. How do we live? Romans 4.17, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. What's the reference to eating and drinking? You see, the Romans were, Roman church was actually in conflict. Over what? Over who chose to eat what or drink what? In other words, they had their eyes on themselves and instead of their eyes on the Lord. Where does our trouble start? Exactly the same place. The kingdom of God is about righteousness, doing what is right towards one another and towards God. And of course, peace that comes from being secure and being at peace with our God and joy in the Holy Spirit. We're reminded in the scriptures that the joy of the Lord is our strength. So if nothing else, be happy. Some of you smile. That's good. That's how we experience the reality of the kingdom. And so we have this beautiful word, repent. As I've mentioned before, steering wheel is a perfect example. We repented many times coming here. Your steering wheel is your repenter, making adjustments. You don't make adjustments, where do you end up? In the ditch. So are some of you stuck in the ditch right now? Then what? Repent. Let me tell you, I have to repent spiritually many times through the course of a day. Change your mind. Turn towards God. You remember the parable of the prodigal son. When did he come to his senses? When he was eaten with the pigs, right? Pray that we don't have to get there. But whatever it takes, we are so much better off when we make that adjustment. And let's understand that this is something that we do all our lives in which we align ourselves with Jesus. I'm learning to be like Jesus in my attitudes, behaviors, and character. Let's understand that this privilege is a blood-bought gift that God extends to us. And as we 
experience the power and the presence, the blessing and the authority of God. We do His will. What course corrections is God talking to you about? There are some things in my life that God talks to me regularly about. Sometimes some new things because I have just understood it for the first time. Aren't you glad for the gift of forgiveness? For the opportunity to turn, to repent? And so, where are we? Are we ready to reaffirm or to perhaps affirm for the first time, Jesus, you are my king. Are you ready to say that? We are about to partake. Here's an opportunity for us to gather and to declare, Jesus, I love you. I thank you for what you've transacted. I will follow where you go. I will go. Amen. Father, we thank you. We thank you that the message of Jesus was re repent, turn. That you didn't give up on us. That you were patient. That you continue to be patient. You give us the opportunity to align our lives with yours. So we thank you. And we know how much it cost. Because it's the cross. It's the death of your beloved son that paid that price. And so we're so thankful, O Lord, that you instituted the Lord's Supper by which we remember until you come again what you have transacted for us. Repent, for the kingdom of God is here. Speak to us, we pray. Bless us, O Lord, for we desperately need you to bless us.